going to be in Mark chapter 3, if you want to turn there. We'll bring the lights up so you can kind of see what's going on. Um, that, that first song, uh, Here is Love, uh, was a request in preparation for our upcoming uh, marriage and parenting conference. It was a request by uh, Frank and Annette Loria, who be, will be leading us through the conference, and they're here with us tonight. They're going to be kind of giving a little bit of a preview teaser thing at the end, so don't be sneaking out early. Uh, they're here with us, and that's, that's a song they asked for, but it was a different version, uh, but the lyrics are the same, so uh, that'll count. And so that's one that you'll be hearing again, and, and I hope that you like it. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Uh, so they'll be sharing a little bit about that. We're two weeks away, and just believing God's going to do some cool things. And um, We've been studying through Mark for a couple of months now, a little bit at a time, and we get to chapter 3. One of the things that we have has kind of been a theme is is trying to to look at uh, what Jesus is like what we're supposed to know and do based on the things that he's teaching and the things that he's like the the actions of his own life um, that in everything he does uh, he's imitating um, well he's given us something to imitate he's showing us what kingdom life looks like and all of his teaching uh, he's you know, showing us what that is like. And so it's kinda, it kind of always comes back to the same thing of like, well, Jesus did this, so we should do that. You know? um, Jesus said this, so we should believe him and trust him and do what he says to do. And, and so it's us as disciples trying to imitate our rabbi, just like his disciples are trying to imitate him as their rabbi. And in chapter 3, uh, we, we, we see Jesus kind of... Um, we're starting to pick up on this theme of controversy, that, uh, that there are, are folks who absolutely love him, and they love what he's doing, and they think it's amazing, and then there are people who are pushing back against that, people who are opposing him, uh, trying to come at him for different things, and Jesus is, uh, he's perfect in every situation. Um, he's showing us, like, he's not just kind of handling something, and we're like, oh, what can we learn from how he handled it? He's showing us how to handle it. He's modeling that for us. Um, and so what I, what I want to do tonight is just look at this story and, uh, and, and look at how Jesus is modeling for us how to respond to some kind of difficult things in life. Uh, so let me read the story and then uh, kind, of, kind of show you where I'm going to go with it. Uh, this is starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that, they may, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him uh, how to destroy him. So last week, you know, we talked about the Sabbath and how that was like a big deal um, to keep the Sabbath. And there was a group that was kind of like the watchdogs, you know, who were always on things. And So this is kind of another encounter, and this is where we begin to see the plots form and stuff like that. But I want to kind of look at, at how Jesus 
how he handles uh, three things. He shows us how to handle opposition. He shows us how to handle uh, lies. And he shows us how to handle brokenness. And those might seem kind of disconnected, but maybe it'll make sense in a second. Let's, let's, let's take the first one. Jesus models how we are to respond to opposition. In verse 2, it says the Pharisees uh, were out to get... Um, sorry, that was my note. Uh, verse 2, it says, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So the Pharisees were out to get him. And uh, they were, uh, like I said last week, the Pharisees were an unofficial group. Like they didn't have, they didn't have actual power. You know, they weren't government officials, and they weren't they weren't priests. You know, who who could like who had like authority. They were they were a kind of a watchdog group. Uh, they had a very uh, conservative interpretation of the law, and they were very devoted. They're very disciplined, and so because because they kind of had th- this uh, really pious approach to things where they would, they would fast more than they were supposed to, and they would pray more than they're supposed to, and all that kind of stuff. Um, they didn't, while they didn't have official power, they had a lot of influence. And so the Jewish community, a lot of times, would look at the Pharisees, and they, kind of, they held them in high regard a lot of times. They'd say, well, the Pharisees, if they, if they are, are for something, then we should probably be for it too, because they're better, they're better Jews than we are. And if they're against something, we should probably be against it too because they're better Jews than, than we are. They know the scriptures more than we do, you know, that kind of stuff. And so they were, last week I, I said it was kind of like a mixture of like the ACLU and like the 24-7 news cycle and TMZ and like a hall monitor in your elementary school, like who volunteers to rat out his you know, friends like a narc or something, you know, like kind of push all them together. That's kind of what the Pharisees were. They, they didn't have official power, but they had a lot of influence, and that's just as good uh, in a lot of cases. And so they, uh, they had marked Jesus because he was, like, he was teaching things that was, a, that was threatening their, like them remaining in power. And he was behaving in such a way that did not endorse what they were doing, and so he was was kind of uh, he was a threat to them and to what they believed the law actually said. And so, uh, what they would do the reason I call them TMZ is they they would kind of like walk like walk around. They would they would like just stalk him and wait for him to do something he wasn't supposed to do. So we we read the story last week right before this where they're. He, the disciples are walking through a grain field, and it's on the Sabbath, and they're, they're snapping off uh, pieces of grain to eat. You know, and they're like, you can't do that, you can't do that. You know, and they hop out of nowhere with their video cameras and you know, rat them out to the world, that kind of thing. And so now they do the same thing. And the, the idea is that at, they're walking through the grain fields on their way to the synagogue. And so they get there. He's already had an encounter with them. And now it says they're watching him. And there's a man who's there who has a, a withered hand, which, which really just means that... that um, th- like the stuff I was studying on the passage doesn't indicate that he was was born this way. That like over time it had his hand had atrophied in some sort of uh, some sort of way, to where he wasn't um, like he wasn't a beggar, like he wasn't uh, his hand withered from birth, so he had to beg. Like this had become this way over time, and so it was kind of a different situation than some of the other t- times that we see him. And so here's this man in the synagogue, and so the Pharisees are like, ooh. He's not supposed to heal him because it's the Sabbath, but I bet he will, and I hope he does. Because if he does, we're going to drop the hammer, and it's going to be it's going to be bad. 
And so that's what's going on. So, so Jesus has already had an encounter with them. He knows that they're, that they're opposing him. And this is a very powerful group of people, the Pharisees. And so this opposition uh, was not something that, like, you know, this could be bad for him. It's definitely, like, this is like a definite thing that's going to happen. And so they're, they're kind of, like, looking. And it says in the verse that they were trying to find something to accuse him of healing on the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath, you were not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And they had, the Pharisees had, had taken the, the one, you know, the, the commandment in the Ten Commandments that talks about the Sabbath. They had created 39 different categories of laws and all kinds of subcategories. And they had hundreds and hundreds of rules that you had to keep. And healing on the Sabbath was, like, that was not something that was permitted if you had to work in order to, like, to do that. And, um, this is a very important thing to them. Like they thought it was a matter of life and death. And so they were kind of excited because they were like, there's no way that he can do this and get away with it. Like it, it was almost like maybe they had him pinned in. So what does Jesus do in the face of this opposition? Well, he models what a proper Sabbath observance is all about. See, he could have, he could have been like, well, I don't want to stir things up. You know, like I don't, I don't want a reputation. I don't want them talking about me. It's not time for that yet. It's still kind of early. I don't need any trouble. I'll just kind of sit back. But for Jesus, he's like, no, this is, this is what the Sabbath is all about. Like the Sabbath is not, it's not just about like ceasing to work. Yes, it's about resting in, like, in enjoying God and enjoying His creation, um, loving and enjoying Him and enjoying one another, and like, and it's about that. Like, it is about like observing what God did in Genesis, but it's also about observing what what God did through the Exodus of His people, of His of His rescue of the Israelites from being slaves in Egypt to being free. And his establishment of them as their as like his people in their own land with their own leaders and their own like like methods of worshiping the one true God. And so healing this man is actually an accurate picture of what the Sabbath is about. You're loving and enjoying God, and you're celebrating the fact that He is a rescuer, He is a redeemer. Jesus is like, this is what I came to do. So, how does he handle the opposition that's coming at him? Well, the key word would be faithfulness. He says, I'm going to be faithful to what the Sabbath is about. Now, Jesus was one of the authors of the Sabbath, so he really, really knows what the Sabbath is about. And he's like, no, no, this is exactly, this is exactly what God had in mind. And so faithfulness in the face of opposition is what he's modeling for us. And so, you look at verse 4. Uh, this is how he responds to it. He says, um, so he brings the man in front of all of them, which I love. You know, he's not like, there's, there's no kind of dancing around the fact. He's like, you, dude, get up, get up here. I want everyone to see this. He says, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And in the message uh, paraphrase, uh, it says, it, this is how this verse is worded. It says, what kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people 
or leaving them helpless. What Jesus is saying is like, hey, the Sabbath is supposed to look like God. So you tell me, what looks more like God in this situation? To help this man or to, just, or to leave him to just be on his own? He was faithful in the face of opposition. And he wasn't, you know, doesn't appear to be very concerned with what this might do down the road. He doesn't worry about their opinions. He doesn't worry about the results. He just looks at the Father, looks at the example of the Sabbath, what the kingdom looks like, and God's heart for his people, and says, okay, this, this is how, like this is the best picture of the Sabbath. So he remains faithful. So what does that, what does that tell us? Um, in, in terms of like opposition, I don't, I don't know how much opposition you get. You know, like... like like, tied to your faith. You probably get opposition because we're, you know, we just live in that kind of world. But, but in terms of being a Christian, I don't know what it costs us, you know, like day in, day out. It probably varies, you know, around the world. Around the world. Definitely varies around the world. It varies around the room, I'm sure. Um, that there are probably times when you get definite pushback because of your faith. That you may, have, you may have family members, you may have close friends, you may have neighbors, you may have people who are verbally looking at you and just be like, I just think that you are crazy for believing in all that stuff. You know? Maybe they do, maybe they tease you, maybe they make little comments. Maybe it's difficult to be around them. Like maybe you find yourself like not bringing up church or God or your faith at all, or anything like that, when you're around them, because it's just, man, it's just, it ain't worth it sometimes, you know? Maybe it's direct opposition. But I think most of us, though, probably have this kind of opposition coming at us that isn't, it hasn't actually happened yet. It's more about, like, what might happen if I do this, you know? It's like we're, we're constantly kind of running out different scenarios in our, in our future just a little bit. We're like, well, if I, do, you know, if I say this or I do this or I handle it this way or whatever, then, then this is probably going to happen or this or this or this or this. And so that kind of opposition, is, it's, just as, uh, it's just as important to consider the actual opposition we're getting as the, like, the, like, the, the kind of opposition we're assuming will happen or we're imagining would, would happen and all those different scenarios we're running out. Because they all have the, like both of those scenarios have the capability of keeping us like, really like, timid. And we can come up with reasons why like, faithfulness is like, not really something that we want to do. That you can look at Jesus and if Jesus, if the text had said, you know, and Jesus, like, he knew what they were thinking, and so he decided that this was not the time to kick over the anthill, and he walked out. Then we would be like, mm, I get that, you know. I understand that. I've done that, too. One time, when I was in, in college, we were, so I was in, uh, I was in the uh, Golden Man from Tigerland, right? And so we were, whenever we would travel, you know, you'd have, like, four to a hotel room, and so um, it was always, like, fun just to see, like, just the different combos of people that you wound up with rooming with and that kind of stuff. And on this one particular trip, in our room of four, three of us were like um, were devoted Christians. You know, like like packed a Bible in your backpack to go on the trip. Kind of, you know, like we were like we were for real. And then there was one guy in our room who was like not about it at all. Like just nothing. But he was super cool, and like we were all very good friends. And so we were in the 
in that room, and um, we, it was like, we were all like, it was like time to go to sleep, but for some reason, like, we just got to talking, you know, because that's what dudes do, and so uh, we're all just kind of laying there in, in, this, in this hotel room, and the lights are out, and we're just like, we're just talking back and forth, laughing, cutting up, and somehow the conversation turned really serious, and it like, it went toward like death and dying and like the afterlife, like just out of nowhere, and the guy who's not a Christian, he says these, these words. Sometimes I wonder what would happen to me if I were to die. Like, I don't know if I would go to heaven or not. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Nobody said. And, like, I think, and I can tell you what was happening for me. Is I was the, there was like a, an older person in the, in the three of us. And I was like, this is all you, bro. Like, this, this is it. This is, you've been waiting for this one. And it was just silent, silent, silent. And then, like, a little snore. <laughs> and then it just, it just went to sleep. That was the last thing spoken that night. I don't know if I would go to heaven. And I was terrified when he said that. Just had, it was just, like, all over me. And I was just like, I don't want to tell you the guy's name because some of you, like, you know, you might be able to put it all together. But I was just like, please, someone else say something. Please, like, you say something because you're awesome at this. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be the intercessor. I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna pray. And what kept me from speaking was all. It wasn't the actual opposition. It was the what if, what's gonna happen if kind of thing, you know. Which is so dumb. The, the right answer is, present the gospel to the dude. If he doesn't want it, then he doesn't want it. But like, that's the, instead, I was like, well, what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? Um, what if he says no? What if he's like, not our friend anymore? Like, what if he like, tells everyone tomorrow we try to like, you know, convert him? It's like a whole big thing. And I'm just running all these scenarios, and every single one of them is not screaming faithfulness to me. It's screaming silence to me. And so Jesus here shows us faithfulness in real opposition and in like what if opposition the kind we're actually facing and the kind we're making up in our head it doesn't really matter there's another time when I was teaching um, I don't know if I told this story before or not but uh, I was teaching teaching high school as a band director and um, it was like two days before like the big like we would go to these competitions it was like the big competition thing and um, one of a student that I taught that was in another class, her brother uh, was killed in a motorcycle accident, and I, he was my age, so I knew him and stuff. And um, we're rehearsing, like, getting ready to go to this big thing, and she walks in the door, and everyone's just like, "Oh no," you know, because you're just you're just you know you're just torn up. And and so I tell everyone, I'm like, "Okay, look in the music, find the thing that you are the worst at playing." And practice it like a million times. Everyone just do your own thing for a second. You all know where that part is, you know. And so they are like, do, 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 you know, for a little bit. And, uh, and so I kind of wave her over. And um, there's like a there's like my little office over here with the glass doors, you know. So, um, so everyone's just kind of like big eyes, like kind of playing, kind of not, not sure what's going on. So we go over and, and I can see, like as I'm looking through, like everyone's like. Because <laughs> they're just like, what do you do in this situation? And. And eventually, the, like, the, the music making got less and less and less and less, and people just kind of started talking. And 
And so I talked with her for a second, and I was 25. I had no training in grief response or anything like that. And I had no idea what to say, but I was like, this, you know, I need to talk with this girl for a second and just, you know, whatever. And so we talked for maybe 10 minutes, and she had to go. And, and the whole, like, like, we're in there the whole time, and, and it's like my heart's beating real fast. And at first I thought it was because of just the situation, and I think it was. But then it, it turned, and I just really felt like God was like, hey, you need to pray for this girl. And, like, not, like, in the office. Like, you need to come out there, and the whole room needs to pray for this girl. So, of course, I'm like, I'm a public school teacher. They're very clear about such things. Like, that does not, you know, need to happen. And, but yet, I just, it was just compelling. And I'm not rebellious, you know. Like, I, that's not, never been my thing in terms of authority. But I was just like, I, I have to do this. And... So we, you know, I, uh, I said, hey, would you, be, would you be okay with some prayer right now? She's like, absolutely. I said, no, I said, no I'm talking about like, the, like everyone out there. And her eyes got real big. And uh, I said, a lot of people out there love you. And this is like one way that we can serve you right now. She's like, yeah, that'd be cool. So, so I go out and I like, quiet everyone down. And I said, okay, we're about to do something that can get me fired. <laughs> so uh, you don't have to participate that's totally fine. But if you want to, we're just going to pray for her right now. She's about to go, and this is the worst day of her life so far. So um, we're, going to, we're just going to take a minute, and we're going to do that. And if you don't want to participate, no problem. And so uh, we prayed, and she left, and we kept rehearsing. And at the end of the, when it was time to go, I said, hey, look, um, you guys know how it works. Like I could, I could get fired for this, or it could just be a big stink, you know. So... Um, so please just keep that in mind as you go, as you go on from here. You know, like uh, I'm not telling you not to tell anyone or to keep a secret, but just know that this could end badly. And I was really just trying to to be obedient to what I felt was right. And um, and they went on, and like as far as I know, it never got to the administration or whatever. And I uh, I didn't get fired, so yay, <laughs> yay for that. Um, and I, I tell you those two stories not to be like, ooh, look at me how faithful I was. I can tell you dozens and dozens of the other kind of story. But I know what it's like to be running those scenarios in our mind of like, if I do this, if I'm faithful in this, if I handle this the way that Jesus would, there will be consequences. There will be opposition. There will be pushback. I understand what it's like to to be in that position. And I have a little bit of experience with being faithful, and I have a lot of experience with being very, very much afraid and timid. And... All I know to do is to look at my rabbi right here. He's like, here's, here's what you do. You observe the Sabbath. You remember the Sabbath and you keep it holy. What looks like the, what looks like the Lord on the Sabbath? Healing this man or leaving him on his own? Healing him. So you heal him. And in the opposition that you face, whether it's real, like it's actual things, or it's things that you think might happen, uh, it, none of those things really matter. It's just about saying yes to Him and handling things the way that you know you're supposed to and the way that He shows us to. Conflict resolution, sharing the gospel, forgiveness, difficult conversations, confession, all these things, all these things are wrapped up in it. Where Instead of running all those scenarios, maybe we can just look at the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do it. And whatever happens, the kingdom isn't at risk. I'm not at risk. I can live with the consequences. If I had been fired that day for praying for that student, 
I'd have been okay. It really, it would have been fine. It wasn't a scandal. It wasn't, you know, all these kind of things. I would have been like, hey, I, this is what I feel like I needed to do. And that's what the administration felt like they needed to do. And whatever, it's, it would have been fine. So, faithfulness. All right, I'm going to keep moving. Um, I could have spent a lot of time on that one, but I want to keep going. So, whatever it is that you're facing in terms of pushback and opposition, faithfulness is what it looks like to be like the rabbi. Second thing, so that's, so that's what he tells them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or, do, or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And this is verse 4. It says, but they were silent. He looks at them and says, what, what looks like the Sabbath? And the Pharisees didn't say a word. But they did. They said a lot. You know, Their silence communicates a ton. It also says in verse 5, that there was a hardness of heart. Which means that, that the hardness of heart is, is not, it's not one of those things that's like, yeah, God's love just can't get in there, man. It's just like, there's heart just so callous, like it can't break through. No, that's not what hardness of heart means. Hardness of heart means uh, an, an intentional, absolute rejection of what, of what God is doing in that moment. So you're saying, I don't care what your word says. I don't care what your example is. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I don't want what you're offering to me. That's a hardness of heart. And so when I say that he's showing us how to respond to lies, they had come to believe some things about the Sabbath and about God that were untrue. That's why their hearts were hardened they weren't saying, I hate you, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with you. They were saying, no, I believe this, like, I believe this particular thing about God so much that I'm going to reject anything else. And what they were believing was false. Not only was it their hardness of heart, but they're also modeling it for all the, other, all the others in the Jewish community. And so when the Pharisees were silent... It takes everyone who's a non-Pharisee, they're looking at this like influential group of people of like, well, they're the most pious among us. So if they're being silent, if they don't think Jesus should be doing it, then maybe he shouldn't be doing it. So them believing the lies actually infected the whole community in a lot of ways. And so when a whole community is believing things that aren't true, Jesus is showing us, so how do you, how do you respond to that? It says it in language that maybe you aren't used to associating with Jesus. Verse 5. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus got mad, you know. And so he's showing us how to respond to lies that people are believing. It should fire us up. He's modeling that for us. But it's not anger, you know, like, uh, like, like you told your kids to brush their teeth and they didn't, you know. It's not like, oh, my boss chewed me out for something that wasn't my fault. It's, and it made me angry. Like, it's not that kind of anger. Jesus' Jesus's anger is, it's holy and it's righteous anger. And it's, it's, it's aimed at the deception that has broken his people. It's more of the anger, like when you, when you, when you read an article that deals with child abuse or human trafficking or... Uh, Child soldiers, you know, or um, 
in certain countries where the, where the government is in control of all the money and all the food and their people are starving and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, it's, like, it's, that kind, it's more like that kind of thing where you're, you're so broken and grieved over the brokenness that is like restraining the world. And it's when you come face to face with it and you're like, wow, you're, you really are believing something that is a complete lie and you're basing your whole life on this thing that is actually sending you away from God forever. So Jesus wasn't angry because his feelings were hurt or because his ego was bruised or because they were challenging his authority or because he lost control of the moment or his expectations weren't met. Like any, none, none of that camp of anger. This was the deep, like, I see, the bro- I see what sin has done to my people and they're believing this lie. He was saddened. Like it's a, it's, he's grieved and he's angry. And so the response to lies that he is modeling for us, it's both. It's anger and it's grief. It's holy, it's holy anger of saying, this is killing my people and I hate it so much. It's that anger against cancer and AIDS and, um, and, and, and heart disease and like all these things where you're like, no, that, that's not how God created this to go. It's anger against poverty and, to, uh, and against all those, all those things that I'm talking about, but it's um, like that's the response to it. And so I was studying through it this week and I was just, just thinking like, it's easy to be angry and grieved over, over these big global atrocities. And I started thinking, when, when was the last time I was grieved by the fact that just like, People, people that live on my street don't think that they need God. I'm not talking about like specific people, and I'm not like targeting anyone or whatever, but just like I live on a street where there are X number of houses, and there are absolutely people in some of those houses who, are, who do not think that they need God at all. They have believed this lie to the point where they just don't want anything to do with them. Does that grieve me? You know? Like, does it, does it make me angry in a, in a holy way? You know? Like, am I broken for that? Can I, can I look at those lies the way that Jesus looks at the lies and in this with that kind of grief and heaviness? We have to follow Jesus into this. We have to follow Jesus into being angry over the big global things and also the very normal things that we are easy to overlook. But the fact that there's just a deception that so many people are walking in, it, it really should, like it should just, there should be a heaviness on us to see people misled by the narratives of the world. And you know, our own battles with buying into lies, that should break us too. You ever look at, you ever look at yourself and you're like, wow, I've, I've become convinced of this thing that is completely false. And you're like, man, I wish I, you know, I wish I wasn't like that. Instead of just like weeping over the fact that this lie has become so appealing that you have you've embraced it. That Jesus is offering you himself and you're like, yeah, but I kind of like this lie. Yeah. When was the last time that we that there was a heaviness and a sadness over the lies?
I look at Jesus' example here, and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's looking at what's going on through a very different lens. And so whether it's the, the, the narratives of our culture that people are believing, or whether it's us, like even us in this room, the lies that we are believing, there's, there should be a brokenness that comes with that. When we realize that, that we're believing something that is so incredibly false about the only one who's ever told us what was true. And sometimes I wonder if my own lack of emotional response, like I love the fact that Jesus is emotional here. Sometimes I wonder for myself if, like I wonder, I wonder if my lack of emotional like, connection to lies and brokenness is a reason why I'm not as driven as I want to be. You know, like driven in personal holiness and driven in bringing the gospel to those around me. I wonder, I wonder if I have become hardened in my own heart toward the severity of how much sin has broken us and what that means in light of eternity. And I think this is one of those situations where I have to look at my rabbi and say, okay, you are this way, I am not that way. About my own stuff or other people's stuff, I, I, I need you to teach me how to get there. Not that I want to walk around crying all the time or anything like that. But I, I want to be moved deeply. Like I want something to happen and I want to be like, oh, just cut to the heart because I, because I see the reality that Jesus sees here. I want a holy and righteous anger against the correct things. I don't want to be indifferent when it comes to, uh, to my own stuff or other people's stuff. So he shows us how to respond to lies and that's, to, we got to get mad about it. We do. We have to grieve it. But we have to be broken. So that's a happy point, right? Point two. Happiest point of all. Here's the third thing, though. He shows us how to respond to brokenness. So verse 1 says, as he, Again, he entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. Verse 3, he said to the man with a withered hand, like, Come here. So... There's someone there who has a need. Jesus brings him front and center. And Jesus knows the solution. And he just offers it to him. Like that's the, that's his response in part to the lies. Like he's, he's angry and grieved at what's going on. But he doesn't just walk away of like, well, nothing I can do about that. He's like, no, there's something I can absolutely do about this. He's angry and grieved at the, broke, at, at the lie that's being believed. But you know who he's not angry and grieved with? The man with the withered hand. Like, all, all of us are, are broken by sin. And, like, our physical bodies are, like, aging and getting sick and then getting a little bit better and that kind of stuff. We're, we're progressing through life, but we weren't, we weren't made to die. We were made to live, but our bodies are dying and so he's mad at the lies, and he's mad at the narrative that has been believed, and he's definitely mad at the group of people who are lying to everyone else about it. Like, he's, like that's where it is, but guess who he's not mad at? The, the, the broken man. This man's brokenness is showing up in, in terms of, of his, his hand has atrophied over time, but everyone in that room is bringing their own kind of brokenness to the table. Some of them are perfectly healthy physically, but there's there's still like like self-centered broken people because of sin. 
And Jesus is not mad at them. You ever feel like you're like, I don't know if I can bring this to, to Jesus. Like Jesus is like, he's, he's not looking at you and he's like, I am mad at you because you believe this lie. He's like, no, I'm mad that the lie exists, but I love you. Like, come, come here. Come get front and center. I want to show the world what I can do. And so what does he do for the man? Uh, he kind of has this theological moment about the Sabbath, and then um, he was frustrated with them. And Verse 5, he's grieved about the lies. He's grieved with the Pharisees and stuff like that. But he looks at this broken man and says to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Like, hold out your hand. Up oh, there. Up oh, there. Oh, restored. Like, he does nothing flashy. He does, there's no hocus pocus going on here. He doesn't even break the Sabbath law. He's just like, hey, hold your hand out. Oh, look, there's nothing wrong. Jesus knows what to do with broken people, He shows us how to respond. And we, like, the offering is like, hey, how about you? You want to be healed? You want to be restored? Now, the kind of healing that we offer people as, like, as followers of, of Christ, like, should we be offering physical healing? We should absolutely be offering physical healing. We've talked about that. We're going to keep talking about that. We sh- that's absolutely something we should go for. Now, he doesn't always heal physically. He will heal spiritually. That's the one that matters. And so he's like, uh, he's like okay, I'm going to show you how to, how to respond to broken people. You respond to them by offering them heal, like healing. Restoration. That's what you do. So he heals this guy. You and me, we encounter broken people every day. Our brokenness surfaces in different ways, different times. All right, we've covered that. We're going to continue to cover that. There's not a difference in how all of our own brokenness shows up. I mean, it's different for you and you and you and you and you and me and all that stuff. But the solution is 100% the same for everyone. And so if we want to imitate our rabbi in this, then we, when we encounter broken people, we're able to offer them the only thing that they need, which is him. That might come in the, in the form of prayer. It might come in the form of encouragement. It might come in the form of scripture. It might come in the form of a hot meal or, uh, or a coat to wear. It may involve a, a place to stay. It may involve a conversation. It may involve, you know, it can involve all, all kinds of things. But like, this is what you do with, broken, with brokenness. The very, like, in this one encounter... We see this opposition. He says, I'm going to be faithful. We see people believing lies. And Jesus says, this makes me so very sad. And let me show you, this is exactly why I came. To deal with your brokenness. And to offer you myself as the one solution. It's so easy to run away from brokenness, isn't it? So easy to hide. And it seems like, like one, of the, one of the hang-ups that we have as Americans is, like we're, is that we're, we, we want comfort. We, want, like, we don't want to think about like, difficult things. You know, we want to deny that certain things are going on in our world. And so we're, we're, all, we're trying to like, kind of like, escape those, those things as much as we can or pretend like they aren't there. And that seems to become a trend of, of like, yeah, that's really what we're trying to do. That's really what the, what the dream is, is to be able to, to just distance yourself from everything difficult. 
And the followers of Jesus, we have to look at that and say, well, that might be what our culture likes to do, but we're the ones that have to run into it. Like we're the, we're the, like you've probably heard this a million times, we're the firemen and police and first responders running into the World Trade Center. Like that's us. We're not the ones running away from it. We're the ones that are like, no, that's, that's exactly where we have to go. Jesus just models it for us. He's like, hey, let's, let's bring the brokenness front and center so everyone can see it. And show you why I came. Sometimes people don't want what we have to offer them. Look at the last verse. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. These jokers watched a miracle and their response is, we got to kill that dude. There are going to be people who are going to be presented with with the truth of their lives and they're going to say, I don't want anything to do with it. And it's awful. But that our job is not to to convince them, you know. We're just the faithful, we're just the witnesses, we're just the messengers. Like we're like, this is this is how God feels about you. This is this is what God wants for your life. This is like you weren't made for this, you were made for this. Like we're the ones that take it there. And that's what it means to imitate our rabbi is to run into the brokenness. To be faithful, to not worry about what might happen, or this or this or this. We are like, I'm just here to be faithful to Him. I see the lies people are, believe, are believing. I see the brokenness in the ways that it surfaces, and I'm just here to offer the one solution that everyone needs. Now this meets you somewhere in your life, I bet. Like It connects with us all. And you might identify with, with, with someone, like you might be like, yeah, I think I'm one of the ones that's believing the lies. Like I think I've embraced these things that aren't true about God and about myself and about you know, all this stuff. And, and maybe you need to hear that Jesus is not, he's not mad at you. Like his anger does not burn toward you. That he is not um, disappointed in you. That he's not like stiff arming you away from him. That he's the one that's he's saying, come on. Come on. He's bringing you front and center, just like he does with this man, and say, hey, I'm about to show off in your life. Are you ready? I'm about to show the world why I came. Are you ready? And if, that's, if that is where you are, then, then I just want to encourage you, like, grab onto it. Like, listen to him. No one has ever loved you more, more perfectly. And you might also be kind of thinking, like, man, I... I really need to take this to people. Like I, I'm around broken people all the time. Why am I not more faithful? Why am I not? Why am I worried about opposition or what might happen? Like you might just be on the other side of it, or you might kind of have a mixture of both. Or God may be doing a completely different thing. Has nothing to do with this. I don't know. But He brought you here for a reason. We want to give you a chance to say yes to Him, or to say no to Him. But I hope that you say yes. I really do. And so we're going to take a few minutes and just kind of like let this be what it's supposed to be. We respond in, in, in communion every, every week. And it could be that whatever steps forward you need to take, the first one is in the direction of the table. In the direction of the body and the blood of Jesus being offered to you. Of Him offering you Himself. The body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. 
Maybe your first step of obedience is to get in that line and tear that bread off and dip it in that juice and you, and you receive what he has for you. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to sing. Maybe you need to tithe and give. Maybe it's a mixture of all those things. We're just going to give ourselves a few minutes to do that. And I'll just encourage you, this is, these are moments that, like, that you can steward well, or you can tell God, I don't really want what you have for me. But I hope that you can hear him like drawing us all near. Let's stand together and pray for us. We're going to respond in, in kind of two, the songs are going to have two different like, kind of vibes. One is that kind of repentant, like I need to step, I need to step into like that forgiving, loving embrace of Jesus. And the second one is about going and bringing to others. Um, so that, we're going to intentionally shift gears in that song, but that's because there's a lot in this one story that we see. So let's take a moment. Let's kind of, I want you to just gather yourself together in prayer and just listening. And what has God been speaking to you through this? What does God want your response to be? Um, with what are you supposed to keep in mind as you sing or take communion or pray or tithe or whatever? Um, what does He want at the forefront of your mind as you do that? Jesus, we thank you for your example to us. You show us how to handle everything. And our desire is to imitate you. And so whether we are um, taking a step toward you out of obedience or in confession or um, repentance or desire to be uh, more faithful who you've sent us to or whatever our responses are would you help us to to connect really deeply with you in response to the scriptures and songs we love you amen alright the table is open you respond as you feel led as we sing and just kind of let the spirit do his thing among us